Jennifer Lopez has a plan. James Franco loses an arm. MTV takes over the Super Bowl and two dead spaces. All that and more this week on 30 Welcome to 302010, ladies and gentlemen, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine taking you back across three decades of movies, TV, music, video games, and more. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, uh, broadcasting from a brand new day. Hello, who else is with me? <laughs> I'm Diana Goodman. You can just put a bird on it. <laughs> Jerry, it's me, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I understood all those references this time. Wonderful. We have so many great uh, movies, TV shows, and music to, to just tell you about this week, even though it's only January. We are counting down the most notable moments of 30, 20, and 10 years ago. This is a journey across three decades, and of course that means we're recording from the week of January 22nd to the 28th in 1991, 2001, and 2011. So we'll tell you all the cool stuff that happened around that period. Quick shout out to uh, executive producer John Bacon and many other fine people at patreon.com slash lasertime who support this show. The entire Lasertime network, a bunch of freebies over there for you, weekly exclusive shows. We appreciate you guys so much. Five bucks is all we ask. Thank you guys so much. Anywho, are you guys ready? January 22nd to the 28th, pop culture history of 30 years ago. I'm excited. A little bit of news to bring you into what's going on. Uh, hey, guess what? I, it, I feel like I read this a long time ago, but cable news finally starts paying its bills in 1991. Can you guess mm. why? Um, mm-hmm. And here we go. CBS News' uh, uh, Bob Simon and a camera crew are captured by Iraqi forces and held for 40 days. Yep. And even he says, like, we fucked up. I mean, we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. I think they accidentally crossed the border where, you know, the wars started where it's but it's an aerial war Mm -hmm. and they weren't really paying attention. And yeah, they were okay. No one got tortured. I think they just got put in solitary and eventually just got released. Solitary is torture. Yes, that's true. I, I do apologize to Saddam, but our shot was way better in the Forbidden Zone. We <laughs> really needed that. Um, Iraqi forces set fire to Kuwaiti oil fields. I think that's an image mm. even people who are really young, like my age, yeah. still remember. Uh, about 700 wells and tanks total, uh, burning about 5 million gallons of oil per day. And they burned uh, uncontrolled until April. Holy yeah. shit. You can just see the bushes crying over all this spilled oil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is just a number that is so hard to even conceptualize. Right. Like I remember when Deepwater Horizon happened, the amount of oil that they said was like spewing out was a number that I couldn't even conceptualize. You know, like it's just it's wild. Yeah, and just and just yeah. like how like you could call it an, a war for oil if you want, but like that shit's worth a lot and we need it very badly. Including yeah. and this is an extreme fuck you to the Kuwaitis yeah. because I didn't even realize, oh, the reason Iraq invaded Kuwait in the first place was because they accused Kuwait of drinking their milkshake, of <laughs> literally <laughs> of drilling under the border and stealing Iraq's oil. So they're like, well, you can't have it. No one can have it. Uh, I didn't get up. Uh, and the final fire isn't, isn't stopped until November and a 11 yeah. month fire of just just imagine setting your bank account on fire. Let's say my bank account every millisecond. 
That's that's what's going on right here. Um, Patreon.com slash laser time once again. Let's uh, let's jump into the movies. Uh, we're less of a politics show than you would realize, despite this being a great week. And congratulations to our listeners who are cool. But movies of 1991, <laughs> January 22nd to the 28th, Home Alone is still number one at the box office. Uh, slap your cheeks and say, ah, it'll be. <laughs> I'd love that this is still Ew. going on. This Christmas movie as Ew. we approach it Groundhog Day. It opened before Thanksgiving. It's crazy. Uh, it's but still going. Yeah, if, if, if we hadn't, I know I said that a billion times, it'll go on to become one of the highest grossing movies unadjusted of all time. Um, yeah. Home Alone is huge. And uh, Jesus, I, I wanted to dig into this so hard because we'll mention it twice in the show. This title, Dead Space, a really weird Roger Corman remake. Mark Singer, Laurie May Tate, and a, <laughs> a little actor nobody likes named Brian Cranston. In a yeah. movie called Dead Space, I looked it up. It seemed awful. And it's all on YouTube. <laughs> Figure out what you think of it on your own. But um, I yeah. never knew there was a movie called Dead Space. And I'm sure but a game is kind of timely about. because I think yeah. it's about a space station and like a super virus gets loose. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, they so... do that all the time. Too Much Sun with RDJ, Robert Eddie Jr. and Alan Arbus is also out this week. And Jesus, just oh, this sounds like a mess. <laughs> it's directed by RDS, Robert Downey Sr. Oh, those are always very fun. <laughs> broad, strange, politically incorrect, hard left comedies. Mm-hmm. And Too Much Sun is about an eccentric millionaire whose son is gay and daughter is a lesbian, and he dies. And his will is one of you has to have a baby within a year, or else no one gets any money. Oh no! What are they gonna do? I know, Gay people right? People can't possibly have children. <laughs> yeah, even though they keep trying. But man, there's, <laughs> there's I've only seen a couple of Robert Downey, Downey Senior movies, but I love hearing Robert Downey Jr. talk about his dad because his dad is mm. just a wonderfully weird filmmaker, and he not only was super supportive of Hardy Chase in a lot of these movies. Yeah, doing and, a lot of weird shit, yeah. and it's always weird to think that dad is like, dad wrote it, dad gave it to him, dad's sitting there <laughs> filming him. Yes. Running around in like underwear and a Hitler mustache yelling. (laughs) And it's like, good job, son. Put on these stockings, son. Oh, man, you are totally, you're going to win whatever award show Lloyd Kaufman has planned this year. Uh, (laughs) A a movie I I deeply wish I I put it on the back burner for this episode. I deeply wish I did see The Grifters. I Uh, skipped one, though. Oh, I did. Oh, I I skipped a major one. One that I did not want to see for any reason. (laughs) Robert Sean Leonard, Keir Sedgwick. Joanne Woodward, Paul Newman, and Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. One daughter looking for more than just a good life. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life raising children in the suburbs while my husband climbs the ladder. No thanks. You can say that that was good enough for a mother, but it's not good enough for me. I want to go to New York. New York? The other daughter finding it hard (laughs) to duplicate the world of her parents. My godmother, I had no idea it was going to be like that. Dear, it is your home now with Gil. He hit me. A son following too closely in his father's footsteps. Okay, rich people problems. Like I just like wow. I I did, I'd never seen a movie with Paul Newman starring alongside his wife before. And uh, have I died? Like they haven't. They've done some. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's directed her in a couple of things. Uh, Good adaptation of Glass Menagerie, Rachel, Rachel, I totally recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no one really talks about Paul Newman as a director, but he was pretty good. This is their last teaming in a movie movie. Yeah. I think they made a TV movie a while after this. But yeah, it's sort of like, I feel like I've seen this movie a million times before. It feels very TV movie-ish. Um, it's not. It's from the Merchant Ivory folks who did like Howard's End and Room with a View and shit. Remains of the day. But 
it's you know it's very tight and mannered and they're like these upper class midwesterners and it's uh, what the 40s and then there's you know family problems in a changing world and they don't know how to adapt and i would just sort of write it off except joanne woodward is so fucking good in this because hmm. you expect her to be the you know just sort of like oh i don't know go ask your father i i've suppressed everything kind of character and she's not she's actually like a lot more flighty and fun Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a character and a characterization that you don't really see where she's not like manic pixie dream wife. Mm-hmm. She's more grounded, but in like a, yeah, but in a fun way. And Paul Newman, uh, I love even late career Paul Newman. God damn. Fantastic. Like he, he knew how to use his age and gravitas yeah, dude. so well. Um, Musburger. It's again, I had to go back and learn more about Paul Newman, but Musburger and Hudsucker Proxy is one of my favorite mm. characters of all time. And nobody's fool is great. I had to, I had yeah. to learn about Paul Newman backwards. And, oh man. So and, that must've been a shock. He's even like cat on a hot tin roof and he immediately turns you gay. It's the second yeah, look at him. Yeah. Like the striking blue eyes. Oh, and those oh cool um, hand Luke. Oh my God. He's the coolest guy ever. Really is. Yeah. And I still to this day enjoy his salsa. Um, mm. but, yeah, <laughs> spaghetti sauce. This is Newman's uh, own movie. Sauce. <laughs> the Saccharoni is the best jarred spaghetti sauce there is. It, it's oh, yeah. still the silliest thing that I find really hard to hate. All the, How big <laughs> Newman's own a nonprofit food product for charity with the dopiest logo ever. <laughs> Paul Newman I in a sombrero it. with a mustache. Like, no one's. Trader Joe's took some shit, but no one's ever going to give Newman's own anything. No, because it's it's for a Why good cause. They? It's for a good yeah, cause exactly. from a great dude. And well, I mean, this is, I guess, uh, who is this for? I guess people who like stuff like Howard's yes. <laughs> and Remains of the Day and stuff like those. People that like very, My very mannered, character-based <laughs> dramas that you kind of know how this is going to go. My grandmother, the, uh, and, and speaking of the outgoing administration, The Grifters uh, is, <laughs> is out this week, 30 years ago, a movie I've never heard of. Uh, didn't, oh. Did not get to see it. It is streaming via Cinemax mm-hmm. and stars Angelica Houston, John Cusack, and Annette Benning, the Grifters. I was team 10 years with the best in the business. I'm still the best long con rubber you'll ever see. In the highly acclaimed new thriller from the director of Dangerous Liaisons and producer Martin Scorsese of Goodfellas. <laughs> Who's conning who? The Martin Scorsese production of a Stephen Frears thriller... <laughs> The Grifters. The Grifters was supposed to be a Scorsese film and just looks like a ton of fun. A, a hard R, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I wish I would have seen it. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. This is, I, I would not call it Dirty Rotten Scoundrels because it is based on a book by Jim Thompson, who we've talked about a bunch of things trying to adapt Jim Thompson, and they mm-hmm. usually end up being nihilistic and disturbing, like mm-hmm. The Killer Inside Me or uh, After Dark, My Sweet or The Getaway. I mean, this guy, he writes the hard-boiled noirs, God damn it. Everyone <laughs> is just immoral as fuck. This one is, I think, probably the best. I mean, okay, the original oh. Getaway is great, but... This might be the best Jim Thompson adaptation because Stephen Frears, first of all, is one of those guys that doesn't get enough respect. And he's just always put in really consistent work. I'm glad they gave him the Dangerous Liaison shout out because Mm -hmm. I fucking love that movie. But oh, this is just fun. Hmm. This is fun. And we're also we're seeing this is like 1991 is the year where everyone finds out who Annette Bening is Mm -hmm. between this and Bugsy at the end of the year. All of a sudden, like, boom, Annette Bening's a thing now. Ah. I can deal with it. Yeah, I watched a little bit of this, and Annette Benning is doing her best Melanie Griffith, for sure. 
um, which is a little jarring because it's kind of like, why aren't, why am I not just watching Melanie Griffith? Like she's still doing the same high breathy yeah. voice and, mm-hmm. and the same sort of sex pot character. And, and I watched a little bit of it. I didn't get super far. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I was also though a little bit annoyed that Angelica Houston is playing John Cusack's mother. mother <laughs> and Annette Bening is playing his love interest. And they all seem to be within like five years of age. <laughs> Honestly, like, so it's kind of uh, I didn't love all that cast. Like I love them individually for their acting, but as far as that sort of casting of ages, let's didn't remember, love. Let's too remember, much. they're all con people. Yeah, who knows what sure. they're all con artists. Mm-hmm. We got uh, um, yeah, a mother, a son, his girlfriend. They're con artists who are conning in diff- different kinds of cons some very simple like rigged dice games and some much more complicated like uh rigging the odds on horses Ooh, uh, yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff going on taking millions I mean, of dollars to build a border wall is that them yeah is that <laughs> <laughs> there's also there's a ton of hey it's that guy's in there we got steven tobolowski jeremy, jeremy Pimmon is a little baby face he's got all this little baby fat on him uh charles napier jt walsh uh yeah. and pat hingle who i think most people just remember as is he no commissioner gordon in the michael keaton batman movies Hell yeah. and he is a very scary man in this oh is he the one that has her get the oranges in the town yep. oh yep. that's actually where i turned it off because i was like i just yep. think i'm emotionally able to handle this yeah, right if you, now if you follow my uh facebooks that he was the ghost of christmas present that rod serling christmas carol adaptation that's <laughs> less about greed and more about isolationist views and anti-un <laughs> yeah, it's a great scene and everyone's like that is commissioner gordon delivering a speech outside a concentration camp to this modern day scrooge it's great it's great Ooh, yeah. sam um, and i yeah. were talking when we were watching this together we were actually talking about so i love heist movies mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like con person like conman movies is i think like a close cousin of a heist movie because it's a lot of the same sort of things but that's the the conman grifter sort of character stresses me out way more because that sort of level of like anxiety of like always slightly getting away with something always lying always having to like keep up this appearance really stresses me out like so much and i think that's part of the reason why i did not finish this movie because like that level of like subterfuge is i don't know no i i, 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 I totally I'm a terrible liar because like watching that <laughs> makes me feel like oh god i get it it's, get it's, away one, with this. it's one of those things like I, I i couldn't ever be a salesman because like i could never right. pitch something like that so hard let alone a, a big old con but like there's still people who do that every day and they just call themselves venture capitalists. And, <laughs> and every time <laughs> no, I read this, a story about what happened to my favorite game company or movie studio, it's one of these con men who brought it down every single time. But that, I, that's why I meant to watch it. I would love to see Angelica in Houston as, as yeah, just a, a more, I don't know. Like I, again, I got to see her mostly in older roles and she looks super mm-hmm. young here. She looks oh, yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Yeah. The gans yeah, on that woman. Oof. Yeah. And she she gives the impression of someone who has like a really shitty, sleazy background who's trying to act much more upper class than she is. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, the trailer the trailer park is just hiding under there, but you know it's there. Wonderful. Yeah, she is great. I mean, everyone's great in this, but she in mm-hmm. particular, I think, is fantastic in this. So yeah, if you 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 like two-fisted, hard-boiled, drinking, smoking noir type stuff about sleazy people screwing each other over yeah you're you're not going to do much better (laughs) much better than this the grifters grifters. is 
Yeah, two-fisted entertainment. And just one of my favorite words that I feel like came back into vogue like 12 oh, years yeah. ago. Like, I love calling mm-hmm. grifters grifters. It's great. And, and then moving on to television of 1991, the 22nd of January to the 28th. I don't remember. Do we talk about the beginning of Generations? But the finale is this week. Don't know. We might have because it was only two seasons, mm-hmm. but 470 episodes. Jesus so- Christ. <laughs> But a half hour soap opera. Huh. Right. It's a half hour soap opera, but it's the first one centered on a black family. Wow. I would love to see what this looks like. <laughs> I'm sure the hairstyles and the clothes oh, are yeah. amazing. For real. Probably oh, like take take the clothes on fresh prints and just dial them up. Clothes on fresh prints, take the backgrounds of any boys to men video. Uh everything matching satin. Oh, I gotta see it. Got to see it. Generations. Um, And then this is not the first. Super Bowl we'll be talking about. Super Bowl is this week. The New York Giants beat the Buffalo Bills. I didn't look into this at all, but I remember right when I became aware of the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills lost like eight straight years and just got there every time. And uh, I don't remember if this is the first or not. I don't think it is. I think this. I played the Redskins. The Simpsons episode usually helps me out where Lisa picks the winner. <laughs> but uh, I, did we talk about this on the show last week? Whitney Houston sings the national anthem. Was that on? No, Mike? we st- we no, we were not <laughs> we were not recording. We talked about that when I said, yeah. "Oh yeah, next week we've got a bunch of Super Bowls." And I realized, oh, this is the one where Whitney Houston sings a national anthem, and she Ooh. does such like a definitive freaking job. And remember, war just started, and we're getting very patriotic. It's released as a single, and it reached number 20 on the charts. They played it on the radio. Yeah. And this is the, like, footage of her in the, like, American tracksuit, right, that we Mm -hmm. all had that was, like, the swishy, like, (laughs) tracksuit that we all wore as kids. (laughs) And she's, like, blowing the top off of it and sweating so hard. Oh, so good. Like, oh, she's the best. Truly the best. Honestly, it really is kind of like, well, this is the gold standard. Mm-hmm. This is what our national anthem is supposed to sound like when you do it right. Yeah. Just to show you what. Actually, though, like, <laughs> it's a shame because she kind of set the standard for that, like, raising the key, I guess, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. at the end that now everyone does. And it kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, oh goddamn. Still That's- doing this. Like, when you just, just let her be the one who did it. Not everyone has to do it's this. It's so, because I, I can't tell you definitively that I heard this, but I know I heard this. Because it was like fucking oh, everywhere, and and that's with the halftime. The halftime uh, crew is new kids on the block. Mm, definitely hitting, yeah. changing the keys on "Hanging Tough." You got the right <laughs> stuff. That's two different songs, but that's the Super Super Bowl to show you where my head is at. Are we coming up on a Super Bowl in 2021 that I'm unaware of? I'm guessing we I might guess be. So. I heard I something so. about the Browns and some Facebook means. I didn't know we were headed towards a Super. Diana is googling it because none of us. I'm literally know at it. all. Like, wait, at all. We I do- know it got. So I'm assuming it got pushed back, but yeah, it's supposed to be first week of February. All right. We're are we in playoffs now? I don't know. You guys I'm more want- interested in my Super Bowl, which is the Oscars. Me too. All yeah. of our. You gotta wait till like April. Uh, I do have a Super Bowl lock to tell our listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, when is the Super Bowl, Diana? February 7th. No matter who's playing, the price of televisions will drop a week after that. So if you're planning on buying a new TV, I say do it a week after February 7th. Um, So there, boom, my sports prediction. Get a new TV after the Super Bowl with all your Christmas gift cards. And uh, after the Super Bowl, again, it was one of the weirdest... I thought it was a terrible idea for a show. It was Minor Dave's for Laser Time or other show that is uh, topic-based. It was called The Post Game Show, and we went back and looked what 
shows aired after the Super Bowl because that typically is either the biggest show on the planet or something they're pushing super hard. I, mm-hmm. And all I remember is the first show that aired after the Super Bowl was Lassie uh, during the first Super Bowl <laughs> because Lassie was huge. In this case, it is Davis Rules. Davis Rules! Uh, that <laughs> debuts after the Super Bowl. A sitcom about a single dad starring Randy Quaid and his dad, Jonathan Winters. Yeah! It, it's one of the it's so it's one of those weird shows that like jumps networks. ABC cancels it and then CBS picks it up and like we're gonna retool this with a uh, Bonnie Hunt and Giovanni Rabisi are added what? to the cast. Yeah, like it's I've never heard of this and I've all up until a few years ago I thought Randy Quaid isn't in enough things and then I saw him in a thing that I I just don't know if I can look at him again. But <laughs> but but uh, Davis rules debuts after the Super Bowl, a, sec- a two season sitcom that aired on two networks. Imagine your dad running your school. What would you think about me taking that job as principal? No! And Grandpa runs your home. What's for breakfast, Grandpa? Gopher paws and sort of a light cream sauce. You've got Jonathan Winters and Randy Quaid. I don't want them feeding the cat any more peanut butter because he can't meow anymore. It's the premiere of Davis Rules tomorrow after Who's the Boss? (laughs) Nothing to highlight in there so much. But the networks had huge faith in this. Like this is they're giving. If if we're not being clear, the Super Bowl spot is the most watched thing on American television. So Mm -hmm. this is the thing they want people to watch next year. It is. It kind of struck me though, listening to that promo, like how formulaic sitcom for me you know it sounded Mm. just like here's this funny premise with two funny people i mean like we just have randy quaid coming off of christmas vacation just a couple of years ago he's tried and true and same as john caddyshack and major league two sorry i love randy quaid in both of those it's just gonna bring in like a ton of generations Mm -hmm. into this very very conventional sitcom formulation basically that they put together it's just interesting to see the contrast between that where they're still trying these like conventional sitcom family sitcoms and then in a second we're going to talk about seinfeld which kind of broke the mold for that right like Mm. the early 90s is like a huge time for sitcoms to really start diverging in really interesting ways yeah like it was every sitcom that premiered was just like it's like full house but the guy runs a mechanic shop it's all sucks and it is all formulaic and that, that was i guess if you're an adult, like, I just want to go home, eat my microwave dinner, and watch something that mm-hmm. doesn't make me think. I get it. So I'm not quite, mm-hmm. not yelling at the public, but it, it, it's bizarre to think about. There's nothing notable about this show except for mm-hmm. the cast. Yeah. The, pre- I mean, the premise is not notable. You shouldn't, even, slightly. shouldn't even write them scripts. Just give right. them, like, a box <laughs> right. of wigs. Right. Right. Just yeah. Get, yeah, give them a box of wigs and let, let Randy Quaid and Jonathan Winters go nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh. Save yourself some trouble. You cursed, uh, which cursed woman put this in here? Oliver Reed gets drunk on British TV, drawing many, many complaints. I did. So talking about going nuts on TV, uh, I just, I'm just going to read this straight from Wikipedia because I love the description so much. Oliver Reed, uh, the actor, appears on an edition of late night discussion program after dark discussing militarism, masculine stereotypes, and violence towards women. Reed drinks alcohol during the broadcast, leading him to become drunk, aggressive, and incoherent. He refers to another member of the panel who has a mustache as Tash and uses offensive language. After one hour, Reed returns from the toilet and getting more drunk rolls on top of noted feminist author Kate Millett. And tries to kiss her. (laughs) The show is briefly taken off the air following a hoax call to the station claiming that Channel 4 boss Sir Michael Grade is furious. And die quick over, who is Oliver Reed? Oliver Reed is uh, one of the great 
drunken screaming British actors. I guess a lot of, uh, probably most folks are just nowadays to know him from his last role in Gladiator. He's the, the slave the slave owner, gladiator trainer guy. Oh man. But the Baron Munch the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, but like I fell down okay. a giant rabbit hole of this looking like, well, I've got to get the clip for this appearance. And it turns out just do a search on YouTube for Oliver Reed Drunk. There are not only numerous <laughs> clips, there are numerous chunks of documentaries about him doing this because it eventually yes. became a thing yes. where they would secretly feed him alcohol before shows and he would just come out and do this incredibly drunken and embarrassing thing. This, this classical famous actor. And, and he would even admit like they, they had bottles of vodka in there. They wanted me to, do, I played it up, but it like make a cut, like a nationwide catastrophe every week on British television, whenever they invite him on the show, it was, I, I had to get back to the show. I was so fascinated by this. There is That's not a, so that's so funny because I can tell you I would know nothing about getting drunk on air and having people no. complain about that. That's, that's the thing. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's it's not cute like the way concept. we do it. It's like he'll sit up and like sing us a, a full song with the band <laughs> next to him, but he's slurring or he has a, a like a giant German stein of booze and will just down or he's not wearing a shirt. This is a classical actor. And well, I'm not wearing a shirt during most of our podcast recordings. Let's be honest. But it's, it's not a shirt, but it's still something. We, appre- <laughs> we appreciate the Shaw, but it's, like, it's something I, as an American viewer, I'd never heard of, but Oliver Reed was famous for showing up on talk shows hammered. And there's too much to go through. <laughs> what a great job. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it looks that was dangerous. That sort of his thing. And, and but, this, this you is. Know, he started the last of that. Well, I mean, really the last of that generation is, is Michael Caine, who didn't get up to as much trouble as the other guys. But yeah, I mean, does it happen with Richard Burton or Peter O'Toole sometimes or uh, where there's Patrick Richard Stewart? Harris? Mm-hmm. No, I'm, Patrick I'm Stewart. Ready. I'm ready for Patrick Stewart to start I mean, getting it, drunk and showing up on things. I'm uh, ready he's, for it. He's a l- tiniest bit younger than that generation. But yeah, I mean, yeah, imagine like Patrick Stewart showing up hammered and yelling and probably smoking on air and just being like, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, who wants to hear an Irish drinking song? Like, All of it. To, <laughs> I don't care. Trying to talk about the economy, uh, Oliver. Oh, well, I once knew I want to And just... <laughs> And just having briefly worked in that field, he would show up and like just grab the "Let's Sing Wild" thing and would just sing a full <laughs> licensed song, like on on television live. Like Jesus Christ! Uh, but it, 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 yeah, if you were, yeah, if you were on the other side of the pond, that seems like a really fun time to be alive. You see that guys on the show tonight, and like everybody, shut up, get in the room. Oliver Reed's coming on television, and then on uh, for uh, yeah, and then of course I always have to mention he died as he lived. Drunkenly arm wrestling sailors. Right, we talked about that in, in Gladiator. Yes, out all night drinking. It's, yeah, at least a dozen shots of rum, eight pints of lager, half a bottle of whiskey, some cognac, and while well, arm wrestling sailors. And then they tried to leave, and he was like, "You bunch of pussies, come on, let's keep drinking." And then he had a heart attack while arm wrestling. He was so committed to drinking, the Oscar-winning movie from two thousand one, Gladiator. Had to complete his scenes with CG. It's one of the few times that it's happened. They had uh, to Ma Soprano him. They did. They yep. did. They had to uh, Brandon Lee his ass. Hard... Go, go watch the three Musketeers and the four Musketeers with him in it. It's yeah. so much fun. And see how those anyway. assholes got to do the Supermans. Don't, um, don't roll on top of any feminist authors. Please. <laughs> they love it. They don't like it. They love it. <laughs> uh, and, and then as Sarah, hard pivot to Back to America, where like we just talked about Davis rolls, a super formulaic sitcom. 
Seinfeld is back. And yay! it's not, yeah, it's not even just like, yay, Seinfeld is back. Like Seinfeld was a four, four episode first season yeah. made out of NBC special budget. I believe the rumor being they wanted to keep Jerry Seinfeld mm-hmm. on the hook for possibly taking over the Tonight Show. Yeah. Use their television special budget on a show almost no one saw. The Seinfeld Chronicles. The Seinfeld Chronicles, and then gave a second season to It Becomes Seinfeld. And it, the ratings are very bad. I think they will hold off the rest. Like, in six episodes, they'll just stop airing it until Cheers comes back. So it can mm-hmm. take that lead in again. But, like, we're talking about the second season of Seinfeld where nobody knows what it is yet. It's not a phenomenon. <laughs> it's struggling in the ratings. Critics like it, but people aren't watching it. Uh, and it's the episode The Ex-Girlfriend. And it's a yeah. fun example of why the show's great. It's so good. So I went back to look at some of the clips Mm -hmm. because, of course, I know and love this episode. And my favorite thing about this episode is that – so the story is is that George is dating this woman who he is attracted to her, but it's just not that into her. And she's very Southern, and a big part of the problem is that she keeps telling his stories that are very long and drawn out. And he just has to break up with her, but he just can't bring himself to do it. And so he – finally does it and he finally gets free and then he left some books in her apartment which is one of my favorite clips ever is him asking telling jerry like i i left some books at her apartment i can't go back because then we're gonna have sex again and then i'll just get stuck back (laughs) in this relationship and jerry has his little speech about like why do you need books you read them already why do we have (laughs) books in our house like trophies like are you gonna read them again no which Really, I felt very. And it's uh, it's redundant by to that. it's a redundant to bring up how much hotter this woman is than George Costanza. And I, just that is the other thing I want. So it's, Jerry goes over to get the books from her, and then gets drawn in, and then he starts dating her, and then now he wants to break up with her because she like tells these story, and it's like Jerry. Have you ever taken a bath in the dark? Like, it's just like, but this woman is like one of the hottest women Jerry has ever dated yeah. on the show. Like, she is a full smoke show and has the sexiest voice in the world. And the fact that these two schlubs are trying to break up with her is such a suspension of disbelief. You just got to go with and, it. And that's why I, I really love the end of the episode because <laughs> yeah. she, God, she, uh, <laughs> she jumps the gun on both of them for the funniest reason ever. Uh, Jerry, by the way, he was a stand-up comedian on the show. I guess things changed for me on Tuesday night. Tuesday night? What happened Tuesday night? I saw your act. <laughs> My act? Well, what, what does that have to do with anything? Well... To be honest, it just didn't make it for me. It's just so much fluff. <laughs> I can't believe this. So, so what are you saying? You didn't like my act? So that's it? I can't be with someone if I don't respect what they do. You're a cashier. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that, like, I didn't know Jerry Seinfeld's comedy at the time and that was a criticism of him that is being yes. acknowledged on the show it is louis-esque and it's fucking metaness and wonderful and it's really fun to go back and watch these old episodes of seinfeld because uh yeah uh, it's so good because he he's known for observational humor which mm-hmm. is sometimes literally about fluff like yes. laundry lists <laughs> like he those are the types of jokes that he makes and so it's such a good self-criticism that he does yeah we're, we're entering the, and, we're entering the days of like dennis leary and bill hicks and like jerry who likes hot dogs yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and look 
we I can't make any promises. We I may turn this show into Seinfeld 20, 30, 20. <laughs> Seinfeld 2010? I, I did it. I got it. <laughs> Had one drink. I, I did it. We're but you, you won't even have the shot. Every Seinfeld episode because they're all perfect. This uh, this season of Seinfeld has a half a season. It barely gets renewed for beyond six episodes the second season. It's bizarre to think about. Um, and I mean, this is a new era of sitcoms. I mean, mm-hmm. I think before this, we really saw workplace comedies and family comedies. Mm-hmm. It's really it for sitcoms. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are probably some exceptions out there I'm not thinking of, but all the major tentpole comedies on these networks, situation comedies, are workplace or family sitcoms. And now we've got a group of friends that are just talking about their everyday life. And it doesn't, nobody yeah. has a family and nobody talks about their work, really. And Perpetually it's, single people who <laughs> don't like their job. It and- changes everything it changes mm-hmm. the landscape basically and it's we're going to be talking about a lot over the next couple i months, think we so. must my my, yeah. my girl is addicted to falling asleep to always sunny and and because mm-hmm. she loves seinfeld and it is it's still on the air and is exactly like seinfeld in so many ways oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we wouldn't have friends we wouldn't mm-hmm. have uh happy endings which mm-hmm. is another perfect i, I always recommend if you have one of my favorite shows that not a lot of people talk about his uh, search parties out uh, now on Netflix. Oh, and I, yeah. I always describe it as millennial Seinfeld with a murder mystery. Like, <laughs> a bunch of narcissists Absolutely. who don't care yeah. about anyone and no, no one learns yeah. anything. It's great. Yeah. I just find it interesting that George has to go back for something when later it becomes a whole plot point of him concocting reasons to go That's back true. for his sable hat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ooh, George, and you it- learn nothing. If you've never heard me say it, George Costanza, one of the best characters in television history. He's really, really good. Um, 100%. And uh, to close it out with the games, uh, again, the game game release dates are all over the place. We'll do a comprehensive version at patreon.com slash laser time with a video game apocalypse voice. But you have uh, Nintendo games. That's NES games. The first Nintendo based on Hunt for Red October, the game show Funhouse, and Fox's Peter Pan and the Pirates, as well as Sword of Vermilion on the Genesis. Uh, as far as music goes for 1991, 22nd to the 28th, we have new releases. The Soul Cages by Sting, Tyranny for You by uh, Front 242, and uh, Into the Light by Gloria Estefan. And uh, we will close out the show for the first time by Surface. It's number one this week. Uh, but stay right there. we got to tell you all about 2001. The first time I looked into your eyes, I cried. Coming in with Shine by Dolly Parton off of Little Sparrow. Dolly Parton <laughs> leading the charge yes. of music in 2001. What can this woman not do? Y'all, this song is <laughs> will heal your soul and your eczema and anything else that else. It's so good. Like, and yes, it is the collective soul song. Yeah. 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 It's so good. I implore you to listen to the whole thing and watch the music video because it just, especially now, after the collective trauma that we've all been through over the past four years, it'll really just make you feel super good. And no Dolly, matter, Dolly does the best covers. I mean, they all right. kind of sound the same because they all sound like Dolly Parton songs now. Yeah, um, nothing wrong with that. 
It, it, yeah. it might I love be, her Stairway to Heaven. It's it, freaking great. It is my second favorite cover. Look, people, no matter where you stand on the divide in America, look up Collective Soul Cat. The, the cat's cover of... <laughs> it's, it's we great. could push that together with the Dolly Parton. It so would good. pretty much be my favorite thing in the world. So good. And that, that is the extent I have to say about music during this period, sadly. But um, we have new releases in 2001. January 22nd to the 28th, J-Lo. J-Lo by Jennifer Lopez, leaning into that nickname. It's a big week for her. And then 20 years later, and she's playing at the inauguration and yeah, stuff. So. Yeah, and she says the phrase, let's get loud, in the middle of her song. Yeah. 20 years later, Amy Klobuchar is saying the name of this album at a presidential <laughs> inauguration. Holy shit. Things We Lost in a Fire by Lowe. The Donnas turned 21 by The Donnas. Uh, it Was All a Dream by Dream, the self-titled debut of O-Town. And uh, 2,000 Years of Human Error by Godhead. Uh, Independent Woman Part 1 by Destiny Child is still number one. Mm. Still. I mean, that's what the show is about. It's like... Yeah, when did the movie come out? It was, it was like, like August, July. September, and then, yeah. and then this song is sticking around, sticking around. I think we have it for another week or two, and we'll finally, we'll see who knocks it off, because actually I looked ahead and it's pretty funny. Oh. <laughs> Not is expected. it smooth again? <laughs> oh, that would have been the best. Oh, I wish it were. Oh, even smoother by Rob Santana. Uh, 2001 news is uh, as Diana writes horrible news everywhere. <laughs> Do you want to take it's, this? It's theme? a terrible news week. Uh, I missed last week. Obviously, we had the inauguration of George W. Bush. I skipped oh, over whoops. that because I still hold grudges. <laughs> um, anyway, I tried to look up like who performed, and the only thing I could find was uh, the night before there was a big concert. Ricky Martin played and W got up to dance with them and it's uh, hilarious. Ooh. Incredibly awkward. But this week uh, an earthquake hits Gujarat, India causing 20,000 deaths. Oh my lord, have mercy. And then a fan is killed in the crowd crush at a Limp Biscuit show in Sydney causing them to have to flee Australia because of the death threats. And then close to me in San Francisco, lacrosse coach Diane Whipple, 33, is mauled to death by two dogs owned by her neighbors Ooh. and this becomes the craziest fucking story the universe has I remember seen. this. I don't yeah. okay. at all. I do remember yeah. this, and it is horrible. It's horrible and bonkers. So yeah, she's Diane Whipple's coming home with groceries, and her neighbors have these two Presa Canario dogs. They're these giant dogs who just jump her and maul her to death immediately. What the fuck? Are these like the dogs out, from Ghostbusters? Yes. Yes, they fucking are. So they were holding onto these two dogs. Their, their neighbors are both lawyers, and they were holding onto these two dogs who had been part of a fighting ring for their adopted adult son, who's an Aryan Brotherhood leader doing three life sentences. <sighs> Right. It was 2001. Yeah. Everybody was part of the Aryan Brotherhood. Come on. Yeah, those are the details that got left out. They had like just they I think they adopted him right before right after this attack, but they had these two dogs that were tons and tons of complaints about him. They jumped this poor woman and maul her to death. Uh they're both charged. Uh one the one who wasn't even present for the attack was found guilty of manslaughter and he did 2 years. The one who was there and didn't do anything. She got second degree murder and I believe she's still in prison. I what? need to double. Yes. She did nothing to stop this attack and they knew these dogs were dangerous. There had been a ton of complaints wow. about them. And uh, yeah, she's in prison. Did she sick the dogs on this woman? No. They just got out. Oh my. She was taking They're... them out to walk and they charged away from her and started attacking this woman and she she did nothing about it. Oh, That's everything a... about this Can story Can you imagine being an accessory to your dog's 
anything. <laughs> like my dog's heist of cat turds the other night. If somehow I weirdly those two dogs went on to do a podcast. They did. <laughs> they got they got lucrative jobs on the Fox News streaming network just because just because <laughs> anything sorry, the opposite of normal. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Uh, Are you ready for this story to get weirder? Yeah. Because. Here's here's one tiny upside. Mm -hmm. uh, it did end up bringing a change to rules for civil partners being able to bequeath stuff. I think her her civil partner had got to sue in civil court as being her next of kin. So that was good. One more crazy thing. The prosecutor in this case, Kimberly Guilfoyle. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, that woman deserves like a Pippi Longstocking movie series. She's had so yes! many interesting lives. This sounds um, like a this is the wildest story I've ever heard. <laughs> it it really, really is. And I haven't seen if there are any good documentaries about it. I mean, I think there's some short like local TV specials that got into this. And you can like go back and read old articles from from the SF Chronicle. But there, this where's the net I need the Netflix series on this. Yeah, we definitely need someone to go do a deep dive. I need to know where those parents are now. I mean, obviously I guess she, one's in prison, which Kimberly Gill, she's one okay. she's one tweet away like Joe Biden's trying to take my dogs away and like what the fuck? That Where's is... the Aryan Brotherhood son? Yeah. Curious why about you, that. Why are you adopting adults who were in prison for life? I what benefit Curious do you get from that? that? The dogs thought she looked Semitic. That's never that mind. could be. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, and then that was one more thing. Is like, oh, no. as a defense, they tried to spin this thing of like, well, she was Ooh. kind of masculine, so she must have been on wow. steroids, and that's what caused <laughs> the dogs to attack. It's like, what are you even talking about? Uh, the steroid panic defense. Yeah. Well, what what, what meat was she wearing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Sarah's trying not to laugh, but it's it's worthy of a giggle. Uh, it's okay. twenty years I'll ago. Yeah, <laughs> something that makes yeah. me laugh, and and not because I like corporate mergers. It's because I like Thirty Rock and the entire storyline involving Cable Town. It's the best way to describe <laughs> Comcast buying NBC Universal, where they're constantly asking, like, who are these people that are buying us? What do they make? Nothing. They, like we're owned by GE, we make light bulbs. Like, what do they make? Like, they, they arrange channels for shows they don't make. We're their cable town. NBC Universal is bought by Comcast, creating before Disney was buying anything. This was one of the biggest entertainment monoliths that we had to contend with. It's yeah. why Jimmy, it's why Jimmy Fallon has a ride at Universal Studios despite being third in the ratings. Let's move into movies. Two thousand one. The 22nd of January through the 28th, uh, brother, a Beat Takeshi joined, right? Yeah, um, Beat Takeshi joined, uh, co-starring Omar Epps, yeah. and mostly, I think, in filmed in Europe. Most of the reviews are sort of eh, but it was just kind of cool that like a bunch of Europeans got together and like, let's just throw some money at Takeshi Kitano and like have him make a movie for us. I I, I think it's neat. I don't. I don't have like I, Yakuza fighting other I gangs. I, I don't have an elegant okay. way to say it, but after Crouching Tiger, like people are like, oh, uh, kung fu movies are viable in the 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 black community, including my friends, are like, yeah, idiots. Like we fucking love this shit. So you just start getting all these movies of like kung fu with black actors and rappers, and then finally yep. Beat Takeshi gets to make a fucking movie for America, which is exciting. Because that guy yep. rules. <laughs> uh, if only for most extreme elimination challenge. I saw a great meme of Guy LaDouche pointing at the guys climbing over the wall at the Capitol. Perfume is a movie that's out this week with uh, Estella Warren, Jeff, uh, Jeff Goldblum, and Mariel Hemingway. This is not the perfume movie I was thinking of. No, um, it's not Perfume Story of a Murder. Mm -mm. And it, it's very confusing trying to get the computer to understand that. No, this is like, it's got some not great reviews. 
but it's like weird behind the scenes stuff in the fashion industry, but it's all improvised dialogue mm. with like a ridiculous cast, but no one seems to care for it much, but maybe you will. I don't know. Uh, well, I know Sarah's going to love any Mina Savari movie because she makes one a week during this era. Uh, mm-hmm. Mina Savari, Marley Shelton, Marla Sa- Sakalov and Sugar and Spice is out this week. Blind Cinema presents a movie about best friends. We're close with our sisters. We're cheerleaders. Boyfriends. Count Chocula or Trix the Rabbit, who would you be? Trix. I love this lady! And bank robberies. Are you robbing the supermarket or the bank branch? It's hard. On January 26th. A group of teenage girls are responsible for the bank robberies. Can you keep the secret? What the heck is going on here? We're like celebrities. Sugar and Spice. Rated PG-13. I, I saw this. I did not hate this. Uh, like 20 years ago. I obviously didn't watch mm-hmm. it for right now. But um, yeah, they're not. James Marsden in there as well. Yeah. I love it when he plays. Yeah, it's sort guy. of I, like they're trying to make it a black comedy, but mm-hmm. not keep it very black. Yes. To keep so it. It's, what was funnier to me reading about behind the scenes that this cast at the same time as Bring It On, and this was the movie that was supposed to be like, this is the good one. Bring It On is just okay. Hmm. Everyone wanted to be in this one. I remember. Uh, yeah, <laughs> apo- out, well, like, bring it on has more life, you know, lasting effect. And sugar and spice is just well, it's pretty silly. Yeah, I think I think you're seeing leaders that try to rob a bank when okay. things are exclusively appraised by old white men. Sugar mm-hmm. and spice, like oh, it's a crime thing. This I get, and <laughs> and then once the public gets a hold of it, no one remembers sugar and spice, and everyone talks about breaking on. Yeah, and then uh, also out this week, Christopher Walken, James Legros, and Laura Tierney in Scotland, PA. We're not bad people, Mike. We're just underachievers that have to make up for lost time. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Macbeth. I'm working the case. Oh, great. I've been a little paranoid. Are you on drugs? Please. I am you. Work in a grill, frying the fries, helping hungry people. By the time I get to my customers, they're usually dead. Please give a chance to kill them. That greasy food. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't know that I remember this at all. Oh, my God. This movie is... So good and so weird. <laughs> and I could not find it anywhere. Really? It's on YouTube right now. I found okay. it free on YouTube. It is, I, I mean, it is a adaptation of Macbeth, again, <laughs> that we were just talking about, a Men of Honor. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now it's in the 70s in a fast food restaurant. <laughs> and it, it is so goofy and a lot, a, it is a lot of fun because, man, is Christopher Walken. He is walking it up. Mm. Yeah. The casting in it is so interesting. Like, Maura Tierney is doing a lot here, and she's doing it very well. Like, this is the first time I actually – because this is one of my favorite person's favorite movies. Darby, my best friend Darby, she loves this movie. She showed it to me when we were in undergrad. And I remember being like, this movie is so weird. I don't know what I'm watching, but it was the first time I saw Maura Tierney. as like, holy shit, this woman Mm -hmm. is something different. She's something very interesting. I mean, the whole thing with her having the burn on her hand mm-hmm. being like the the blood, it's just so good. Yeah. I'm re- I really, really have fond memories of this I, movie. I, the- it is a lot of fun. And Fuck. what the, I loved finding out after the fact is like, oh, what? why does it like have all bad company songs? Like, is that a theme? And it turns out, no, they just found out they're really affordable because this is a very <laughs> low budget movie. <laughs> so they just went with all bad company because it takes place in the 70s. So it's perfect. Just 
Yeah, I, no, this, Scotland PA is. This is why I love fun. doing the show, like like rediscovering things like this, and we can all watch it for free on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. so quirky and weird. I absolutely recommend you guys. Because because yep. the next Watching movie it. is, I think, arguably the most lucrative m- watched movie we'll talk about this segment, and I don't know mm-hmm. that anyone will come away saying this is the movie you should see. Uh, Bridget Wilson, Matthew McConaughey, and Jennifer Lopez in the number one at the box office movie, uh, Wedding Planner. Mary's life was her career. I'm the wedding planner. Until fate ah! stepped in. You saved my shoe. You met a guy? Eddie, this is Mary the wedding planner. Hey, this is my fiance, Eddie. We danced, nothing happened. Then why'd you almost kiss me? I am gonna let her plan the wedding. And that's just what I'm gonna do. Keep my I'm a professional! What has gotten into you? Hi. Hi. Jennifer Lopez, Matthew McConaughey, The Wedding Planner, with PG-13. I didn't watch hey. <laughs> So, you know how I've been complaining, like, why have I been so easy on rom-coms lately? Mm-hmm. Between No Strings Attached and Love and Other Drugs, like, what? why am I saying, like, oh, these are better than I expected? Because of shit like this. Mm-hmm. I fucking mm-hmm. hate this movie. I hate this kind of movie. This is <laughs> everything wrong with romance and comedies and romantic comedies. Oh my god, I hate it so much the flames i agree i hate this movie it's no good it's no good and i didn't even bother to go back and rewatch it from when i saw it probably when it came out when i was in high school i probably watched it on a sleepover or something like that because it has my least favorite rom-com trope which is like busy career woman is too uptight for love yep i'm only going to wikipedia but she's also she knows the in, in and outs of glitz and glamour of weddings, but doesn't mm-hmm. understand any of that for herself. And then finally, does she get a little taste of the good life from all these rich people she's making weddings for? No, that would be interesting if it was about how she was kind of poor and she has to put on these fancy weddings for fancy people. <laughs> no, because it's like a Hollywood romantic comedy. Of course, she lives in like a gigantic apartment and has fancy clothes all the time because that's middle class. Uh, San Francisco, uh, San by the Francisco. way. Yeah. yeah, you have a 3,000 square foot apartment, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, the the uptight career woman thing especially bothers me here because she is shown to be hyper-competent at her job. Yes. And she really is good at it and knows, like, yeah, if you pick I Honestly Love You by Olivia Newton-John as your wedding song, you're going to be divorced in 18 months because yeah. I've seen this so many times before. And this is treated like, oh, girl, you just need to lighten up. As opposed to... Oh, fuck you. She is super right. She's seen a million weddings. And as someone, I mean, this movie is especially, I was not going to revisit it because the wedding industrial complex to me is especially (laughs) complicated and distasteful. Most, the vast, vast majority of it. I just find that anyone who, I would love to see like a, a more honest look at the wedding industrial complex. I would love to see a rom-com that completely like skewers it and not one that completely buys into it at the end. Yeah. And have you, have you watched uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey? He was out promoting his book, I believe recently. Mm -hmm. And he talked about his sort of like career trajectory and like, he doesn't name names, but he's like, I was stuck in romantic comedy hell. Like I was this leading man. And then I was like only in romantic comedies and I wasn't, so I just had to like quit for four years. And then everyone's like, 
who do we get to play the murderer or the cop or the <laughs> alcoholic? Uh, what about Matthew McConaughey, who's known to be a romantic lead only? And I'm like, yeah, I missed that whole path of his career, but this is where it starts. Not kind of movies you're going to want to watch. Yeah. And like, no. yeah. Whereas Ma- Matthew McConaughey is mostly like a man's man, but he was in only movies like this that I wouldn't make it a point to see. Cause they suck. They suck. Yeah. They're no good. And it's not even good in the terms of Matthew McConaughey bad. Like the Matthew McConaughey bad romantic comedies that I actually like is like Fool's Gold, which is like so ridiculous that I'm like (laughs) here for it. And it actually like he goes away to like a fancy island and they're like scuba diving and stuff. This is just fucking boring and offensive. True detective, baby. Or whatever the fuck that smoking gif comes from. (laughs) Looking at your phone. Oh, it's great. Um (laughs) And, but something I know way more about than Matthew McConaughey and romantic comedies, Winnie the Pooh, as we move into television, <laughs> television of 2001, <laughs> the book of Pooh debuts on the Disney Channel. The th- That's just not your like bathroom reader. I know. It should, it, it should be a little basket next to my toilet. It is, the, it is the third television show on the Disney Channel all about Winnie the Pooh. The first one being Welcome to Pooh Corner, which is terrifying. Which mm-hmm. is people in poo suits with their real voices. Oh, oh my! Uh, the production values on this are terrible. <laughs> uh, and then n- n- the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which is awesome. Gotta right. get up. Gotta get up. Gotta get, Gotta going. get going. So we're too old, and none of us knew about this. And I and like there are no good clips of it on YouTube, but I think it's on Disney Plus. This is puppets in front of blue <gasps> no. screens. This is horrifying to mm. look upon. And I, I just grabbed a bit of the theme song. You, if you recognize this, you are too young to listen to the show. Tell your parents and stop listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be who there? Maybe it's Pooh Bear. Pooh. Well, that's me. He's winning a Pooh. Come and find me. He's winning a Pooh. He's in that book. So now imagine puppets with legs in front of a CGI moving blue screen, like making it slightly less horrifying than Welcome to Pooh. Never mind, this sucks. There's, But there are two movies. I found this truly bizarre because Pooh was like everywhere and I love Winnie the Pooh. I really, really do. Mm. Even some mm-hmm. of the kids stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like this might get some of the most discussion out of us here because this is the mm-hmm. quite possibly the biggest cultural event in the entire show. On television yeah. this week during the Super Bowl. I know the Baltimore Ravens and the NY Giants played, but like that's not what people talked about endlessly forever and ever after that. This is the first time MTV is giving given the producer slot for the halftime show. I didn't mm-hmm. know the previous year was produced by Disney, and they put their boy Phil Collins in to sing some Tarzan songs. And that doesn't seem very relevant in, in 1999 <laughs> in, in 2000. This Super Bowl was fucking crazy and people talked about it forever. Mm. The only reason MTV doesn't currently produce Super Bowls is something we'll get to in a few years. But like a uh, Super Bowl halftime shows uh, is a controversy that occurs years later. But like this is the first and it I think it sets the model of what we expect Super Bowl halftime shows to look like. Tip of the hat to the King of Pop when Michael Jackson did that thing like, oh, we can get A-list people to do by the way to do this for free they all do this Mm. i read about how yeah for free no one is paid to perform at the super bowl but i did read like in this case most of the artists their album sales shot up 25 percent when album sales were still legitimate revenue Wow! you're exposed to the biggest audience in the universe in the super bowl i don't know how to bring this up because it is a lot it opens up with in sync this clip i love listening to (laughs) 
It's in sync running into Aerosmith, and I've seen people. I, I was around to watch my smart, cool friend shit on it, but like it's, it was kind of amazing. Yeah, it, it was yeah. Really cool. I I still remember the joke about where well because it goes to Aerosmith to Britney Spears, right? It goes all over the place. It goes back yeah, to in sync. They do like six I remember songs. Remember when Britney Spears comes out? I think the Daily Show John Stewart's joke was like Britney Spears is dressed like a linebacker who's been forced to go into sex work. Because she's wearing basically a, a sexy football player costume, and she's got like one of the knee socks as like a yeah. glove. Right. She made a, she made one of the year's biggest fashion statements with a sock on her arm. And <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like we people talked about this for months. And this this is how she like. And I don't like. I I knew I knew about this, and I remember watching it. By the way, I, we should say it opens up with a sketch starring Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, and Chris Rock telling. Aerosmith Jesus. had to perform. It's the MTV cloud. It looks like something from mm. the MTV Music Movie Awards. And I don't, rem- I didn't remember Britney Spears was going to be there. So like ten minutes into this, she just suddenly appears in the middle of what you think is going to be a certain Aerosmith song. I'm not a fan of either of these bands, but there was something about this that still gives me goosebumps. Like, I didn't expect any of this. And you're bridging like 30 years of music. Nelly and Mary J. Blige are here somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really did not have any like real connection to this until you played that clip. And then, oh, my God, I 100 percent remember this now. (laughs) You weren't reading the news. It was wild. It it was super surprising. And like and Mm -hmm. out of nowhere and. You know, I was there for the commercials for the most part. Uh, as I, I, I put sure. down, there was this. I think this is the first or second year CBS does the greatest Super Bowl commercials of all time. Mm. That also airs this week. A one-hour special where people vote on their favorite ten commercials. So for one hour, you endure commercials to watch <sighs> your favorite commercials. And Don I'm, Draper could never. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a carousel of human thought. Um, it's, just, uh, uh, it's three frogs saying <laughs> Bud, Y, and Zer. Uh, I, I did look up what the more famous commercials were for this year. They were the running of the bunnies, but I think the funniest one was for E-Trade, where I think Pets.com had just gone down. Mm. So they showed mm-hmm. the corpse of the Michael Ian Black oh, no. Pets.com puppet. A chimp throws it on the ground, and it's like, "Be careful what you invest in." Uh, wow, <laughs> it's it was it is it is not bad, but like th- this is notable because MTV starts producing the halftime shows, and I think completely changes everything. Like ten years ago, New Kids on the Block did their hits. Kids are delighted, parents are bored, and this is just like, well, everybody's kind of paying attention now. Like this, yeah. is, and the production values move up too. There's going to way be up the stage dancers, the mm-hmm. lights, fire fireworks show is going to be like completely out of control as opposed to when it's new kids on the block you have a stage and you got some lights and you got some dancers yeah yeah so but it's just not stadium-wide ridiculousness it, it's still really like it's all all the youtube clips are super ro- low resolution but it's really fun to watch the cameras follow the artists in the middle of the field which felt very new and if you were a viewer of the mtv music and movie awards that's 
kind of how they did things. They shot things a little differently. And then moving on, I, we sort of missed this, maybe bleeding over in the last week. We just talked about the show TV Funhouse from Robert Smigel, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, the uh, parody of puppet cartoon shows. Six episodes later, it is inadvertently done. Um, it is it is incredibly well-rated, yet hard to produce. And by the time they asked everybody, hey, you want to make another season? Everyone's just like, no. <laughs> no, we are genius comedy writers, and that show was too hard to make. But Comedy Central aired it weekly forever, despite having no new episodes. And speaking of weird, we move into the games of 2001, the 22nd to the 28th. Oni! A weird little game I have never played, but comes from us from Bungie and Rockstar, a third-person action game. This is why we have the 302010 video game show with the Video Game Apocalypse. Boys, patreon.com slash laser time, uh, occasionally featuring Chris Baker. Love you, Baker. North America also gets its Fantasy Star Online, one of the first major console art online rpgs for the subscription fee for the sega dreamcast so Ooh. that is out this week i just looked at this song and i'm disgusted i don't know if i want to hear this <laughs> okay so we came in with a really good cover and Ooh. i felt like going out with a really bad cover when i saw the new godhead album had a cover of eleanor oh. rigby i was like let's listen to this I'm like yep this is about as 2001 try hard as you're gonna get so oh, i kind of i kind of love how much i did they update the lyrics? Lives alone in the Viper Room. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Godhead sounds like. This could be terrible, but uh, we, but do not it's, let it chase you away. Say right there, the best movie we have to talk about occurs in 2011, so don't move. What's out the window? Wearing a face that you can't send a job by the All the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of January 22nd through 28th, one quick recommendation. Turning 60 years old this week is the final film of both Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe, The Misfits from 1961, directed by John Huston, written by Arthur Miller, Marilyn Monroe's husband at the time. Although that was ending, and that's, oh man, if I could be a fly on the wall at any film being made, this would be in my pretty top of my list. I, I would like to see behind the scenes at this. I, I mean, it's just as a movie, I think it's really dang good. It's about folks on a ranch in northern Nevada, and it's very dry and dusty, and you know, just trying to scrape by, and different, you know, characters interacting. I think... It's been a little while since I watched it. I want to say that Marilyn Monroe is there to get a divorce because that's what you had to do back then. You could get a divorce in Nevada faster than other places, but you had to like live in the state for a while. So they would set up these ranches where you could just like hang out for relatively cheap. And then she, you know, meets uh, this old cowboy, Clark Gable, and Eli Wallach is there, and Thelma Ritter's there. And behind the scenes, though, man, uh, everything I've heard is Marilyn Monroe is really playing herself here, and that's really uncomfortable because it's written by her husband and that was creating tension right there plus you know arthur miller and john houston aren't getting along because they're both such alpha type guys who really have their own artistic vision and 
man, it, it really is such a shame. It's her, it's her last film because you really see everything that Marilyn Monroe could do as an actor because she's such a like you just want to protect her so much. She's just such a, a oversensitive person that's like the world is just too cruel for her. She takes everything so deeply and, and it's just a really, really moving film. It was just kind of brushed off at the time and just over time, you know, people have really come to appreciate it more. So also in this time of quarantine, lots of big open spaces and uh, Montgomery Clift is in it too, which man, his whole story is, is also pretty sad. It's one of his last films, but he's also, God, he's so damn good. So yeah, The Misfits from 1961, not a movie you hear about as much as I think you should, because I think it's outstanding. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming into 2011 with Dynamite by Ty- Tyo Cruz. Tyo Cruz. I, ooh, I'm way out of the music scene at this point. Um, in 2011, January 22nd to the 28th, there are other new releases, such as Mission Bell by Amos Lee, Mine is Yours by Cold War Kids, Deerhoof vs. Evil by Deerhoof, uh, Kaput by Destroyer, self-titled by The Gatabouts, uh, There Are Rules by The Get Up Kids, Keep Each Other Clean by Iron and Wine, and Gutter Rainbows by Talib Kweli. Um, Grenade by Bruno Mars is, is number one again, and after one week, hello. Yeah, I love that. Like the top five includes dynamite, grenade, and firework. Ooh, <laughs> twenty eleven. We were feeling very explosive, very spicy. Oh, there's so many movies to mention here, but I really oh, only want to talk about one. Mm. A vast majority of them are extremely depressing. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, we got real bummers. We got a hat trick of three of the best movies of the year that are super bummer city. Huge bummers. All right, I can't wait to figure out what the third one is. Let's get to them. Uh, Start with Thin Ice with Greg Kinnear, Alan Arkin, Billy Crudup, Leah Thompson, Bob Balaban. I would like to see the original cut of this, which I think was called Uh, Convincers, I think. But it's about um, these insurance salesmen who, like, trying to steal from Alan Arkin, who's a dotty old guy. It did really well at Sundance. It got picked up, and then it got recut, and apparently the cut that's called Thin Ice is not as good as the original cut, and the director is super pissed about it. And given a really awful generic Hollywood title. Great. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have great titles like this uh, from Prada to Nada. (laughs) From (laughs) Prada to Nada. I feel like I'm speaking Spanish. Camille Bell, uh, Alex Vega, and Wilmer Valderrama. Yeah, which... Mm. Another classic adaptation. This is a LA-based Latino-centric sense and sensibility. Wow. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, a lot of the reviews were like, eh. But, you know, I love when they try yeah. something yeah. different. Don't just modernize it, but put it somewhere else. Do, yeah. do yeah. something. Put it in the 70s at a, a fake McDonald's. I, awesome. I am both. That sounds interesting. And also, no wonder I didn't see it. Um, yeah. Probably wasn't marketed anywhere near me during the Facebook age. No, uh, it was it was marketed to teens, and that's kind of a bummer because it's like yeah, a lot of potential there. Some some fun people. I like Alexa Vega. So, uh, what do you think? Uh, Sandra Oh, Diane Weist, Aaron Eckhart, and Nicole Kidman in Rabbit Hole. Okay, so here's right number one of three hard to watches that mm-hmm. are they're worth it, but you got to be ready for it. 
yeah. rabbit hole is pretty freaking rough because Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart have just lost their son. Their little kid got run over and it is about the coping and the grief and the blaming each other. And whew. yeah. And Nicole Kidman kind of starts to forge a relationship with the person who did the running over. All right. It's Miles Teller, I think. Right. Yes. It's very, very difficult, but it's very good. I mean, like. Were you rushing that, or were you dragging? Sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. I didn't say that. The acting is fantastic, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody's better at fragile tragedy than Nicole Kidman. <laughs> um, well, I can think of one other person, and we're about to talk about her. True, true. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Right. But yeah, Rabbit Hole is great, but it is hard to it, watch. It, it, <laughs> so, it sounds in the bedroom and It's a, it's yes. a quiet bummer. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not a bad comparison. Thank you. I do, um, my, I do my best without having seen things. Well, I was trying to find. I was trying to pick something else to compare it to, and I couldn't think of it. So yeah, in in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how grief tears at people. And uh, yeah, speaking of tearing at relationships, we also have Blue Valentine. <laughs> yeah, one of my one of my Gosling, favorite slash Williams least favorite things of the modern age is every website trips over themselves like. Things coming to net, best movies coming to Netflix or streaming. And this recently came to everything, and everyone's like, This is the best movie. Here are the list of people who shouldn't watch it. <laughs> uh, Blue Valentine. Is, yeah, Blue Valentine is one of those movies that goes in the category of a fantastic movie I will never watch again. Mm. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is emotionally grueling because mm -hmm. it's about a relationship that we see starting and also falling apart and it feels so painfully real because apparently like they like moved in together and set up house like with the kid who plays their their kid and workshop their own dialogue a lot of the times and ryan gosling and michelle williams are both just fucking incredible actors especially when it comes to showing pain but not in a big way in the little tiny realistic ways mm. yeah oh this gosh this movie's movie reminds me a lot of actually a movie we're going to talk late about later, also with Michelle Williams called Take the Stance. Another mm. really great, really sad movie about the ending of a relationship. Michelle Williams is really going through something this year. Mm. Well, yeah, her yeah. partner died last year. Can't and imagine she's got what. a little kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Michelle Williams does fragile better than just about mm -hmm. anyone. The, to the point where I was just thinking about it, talking about the misfits and thinking, oh, yeah, she played Marilyn Monroe and did an amazing job, too. So, mm. yeah, she's, she can hit that note. Yeah, Blue Valentine is, I mean, it made a ton of top 10 lists for the year, and it is great. But, yeah, you're going to want a hug. Yeah. You're going to want a lot of hugs. Mm -hmm. Shit, one of the... And then, yeah. ah, crack my knuckles. <laughs> Oscar contender, not too hard. I don't want to sever them. Lizzie Kaplan, Kate Mara, Amber Tamlin, and a big space and then james franco <laughs> <laughs> there are not a lot of other people in the movie 127 hours which i embarrassingly saw for the first time before we recorded because i say that danny boyle is like i think one of the, the top five directors we have working everything he mm -hmm. makes is amazing Amen. he has never yeah. made a bad movie i didn't love this as much but like uh, everything i thought i would not like about it i was wrong about and Ooh, and the bad stuff. Like, wow, that was real bad. <laughs> that, was, that was really mm. hard to watch. Yeah, this yeah. is a movie that I sat down to watch. I think last year because mm. I just never got around to it, mm. and I got to where he gets his arm stuck, mm -hmm. and 
at that point, I just kind of told myself, I just decided I don't need to do this to myself. You know, I just don't need to put myself through this. And so I cut it off at that point. No pun intended. Um, You see, no, I think you're missing. I I mean, you missed the best part of the movie because I I kept an eye on the clock. I rewatched it and I kept an eye on the clock. Yeah, it's just flat 90, man. It's it's tight. It's a flat 90. It's 15 until he, I mean, it's based on a true story. This guy's climbing in a canyon all by himself and a rock lands on his hand and pins his hand in place and he's stuck there for five fucking days. Mm -hmm. It's amazing he lived. And so... 15 minutes till he gets pinned in place. And then one one hour almost exactly is just James Franco trying to figure out how to survive. And you think, how do you keep it visually interesting when you have a guy just standing somewhere? And goddamn Danny Boyle does it. He said, Danny Boyle, I believe, said he tried to make an action movie in once with a character who can't move. And and if I was just thinking about like all the stuff in Die Hard, if I had the opportunity to fast forward through, I would. But they still have moments in his head that like, here are my relationships and what I've done before and how I got here. He gets to remember all those and think of all those before he thinks about his next step. Because his next step is usually something drastic and terrible to remove his arm from this. Yeah. He sort of forecasts that this is going to be how he gets out from the beginning. Yeah. And he realizes, oh, right. Well, because it lands on his hand and a little bit of his wrist. And so he realizes, oh, there's bones. It still doesn't make makes sense to me how like it's like a video game glitch in real life like how did this how did this thing this big land on top of this one part of you but it took 12 human beings to remove his severed arm Mm. when this was all over so it's a and it's a real thing that happened and i thought this was pretty fantastic i thought it was lesser danny boyle but fantastic Mm. i had a great time with him yeah, well, just just being able to show like all the the basic survival stuff, you know, it's like it it hits and he's not in pain very long, you know. If you think the whole time it's just him screaming, no, I mean circulation's cut off and he's basically like, oh, well, now I'm just stuck. Both the, the script uh, and the uh, um shit, I forgot the the character, the main, the real person's name, but they like, yeah, mm-hmm. he said he never said Al ever. Yeah, uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron Aaron Ralston, Aaron Ralston. Uh, and, you know, it just, like, look at all my supplies. Mm-hmm. Okay, what can I do? Um, is there a way I can... I'm standing, I'm really tired. Is there a way I can rig something up so I can, like, sit a little bit? And that takes some time. And they're trying to... Different strategies of trying to move the rocks. Is that going to work? And it's starting to run out of water, starting to run out of food. And I mean, it's so fucking long. But, like I said, I watched the clock. And I, I'm going to recommend this, but I know the point where he does start cutting his hand off, it's pretty rough they the prosthetic arm is phenomenal it is so good but james franco even said it really freaked him out doing it because yeah. it looks so realistic one hour and 15 minutes and you're going to leave the room for about three minutes i but i, I, I suggest <laughs> you listen from the other room because they use the sound design first of all those two bones that are in your lower arm mm-hmm. it sounds like gunshots when they snap and he is so out of it he's not fucking feeling it he's just all right let's go and, and, and that's, but they that's use the, the sound whole... design of like which part actually hurts versus what doesn't because he's so close to death. It's really he's in shock and he is not. Yeah, he's mad at his fucking. He's think. mad at his fucking arm. Yeah, my arm is now my enemy and it's keeping me here. And it's it's kind of fascinating to watch. And I am both very easily grossed out, but love horror and gore movies. So like the moment of him breaking the bones intentionally in his arm so he is sure he can cut through this certain part that sucks then he cuts in the arm like i am okay with that and then he accidentally touches tendons 
that deliver different pain centers that he's not ready for. That shit is horror and gore porn on the likes I have never it's seen so in my life. Like <laughs> Sarah is fanning herself. I'm fanning myself like I'm in church. This is making me feel like have you ever, you ever, you ever hit your you ever hit your funny bone? That's when like you yes. hit a, a cluster of things that sends bad messages to your brain. Now imagine you're slowly going through your arm with a knife, hitting all yeah. those individually. And they show it. <laughs> they fucking yeah, they show, show it. it. And I love that the camera sort of jitters and the sound yeah. makes this very electric sound. Shit, it's I like, didn't expect that to hurt. Oh, I thought I was just cutting another string. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> and then when he breaks out and it, just the shock of like, oh, my God, I totally did that. Uh, I better go. Uh, I'm going to put this plastic bag around my stump and bye. Bye. And pass. But no, it ends up being so inspired because you think it's just going to be basically torture porn of him just stuck in this one place. And it actually has like a deeper message of we are people. Well, never, never hike alone is. Yeah. Is the surface message, but like the deep. Always place, like, leave a note, or you're missing your <laughs> arm. Yeah, it's a full Arrested Development reference. <laughs> but just the idea, like that, he is out there by himself because he has sort of drifted away from all the people who care about him. Mm-hmm. And the idea that's like we are made human by our connections to other people. Right. No man is an island. They they manage to fit that into this movie that should just be like a TV movie of like hours of terror. The the Aaron Ralston story. I, I think. They, I think it it's, becomes it's, like artistic and re, like a human redemption story. It, it, it's I, it's those moments really that make it like a genuine masterpiece. Where like he's fantasizing about a Gatorade bottle he left in the back of his truck. Whereas like that is mm. now that is now my lottery ticket with a vagina as I'm stuck here. Like I, I all I crave <laughs> is the Gatorade in the back of my truck that is half open I, and been there for months. I love that shot and, of him it, just like looking at the water and then there's a tracking shot running through the candy, through the desert, brr, 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 car Gatorade. Fuck. <laughs> like, oh! Oh, it, it, it's, I, <laughs> I thought it was really, yeah, it's really great and worth watching. And I, I, I avoided it for a long time just because I thought I understood it from the description. Um, yeah. but it's, it's very much worth watching. And I've watched Ryan Reynolds buried twice. Like I'm ashamed of myself. This is much better Damn. than that. <laughs> well, just cause it was yeah. on TV. Okay. But yeah, uh, I'm so bummed though, that there was a video on funny or die and it seems to be deleted now. James Franco and his grandma talking about going to a screening and there were reports of people fainting and yeah. there were reports of people throwing up. And that's why I'm giving you the time code on it. One fifteen, three minutes. Yeah. But it's it's so sweet. His grandma tells you all that if you can't sit through 127 hours, you're a pussy. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I couldn't find it. Like, uh, if yeah, you're watching a movie about a guy who lived through this, like, the least you can do is watch what he did. And Well, it... if you can't sit through Blue Valentine, you're an emotional pussy. Oh. Um, yeah. This is... Snap. This is not something I have a comeback for, and I don't appreciate that at all. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Sarah's the king of burns in January. What the fuck's going on? Listen to later <laughs> time. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do recommend this film more than pretty much anything else we talked about. It, yeah. It, I, I thought I wouldn't get anything out of it a second time too. around. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, oh, God, why am I doing this to myself? And I, I, I might have liked it better the second time. It's, mm, it's yeah. again, Danny Boyle, the guy, who, the guy who never makes the same movie twice that had conflicts and they wouldn't let him make a James Bond movie. I'm so mad. Ugh, I know. So Terrible. Mad. So mad. I love that guy. He is, I feel like he's my Scorsese. Because Scorsese was around when I was making movies before I was born. Yeah. If I didn't say, if I didn't love McQuarrie so much, I'd say give him Mishpas. But... And you don't, uh, guarantee you don't care about a movie that guy makes without Tom Cruise. But. 
It's true. But why do we have to talk about after that? Donald Sutherland, Ben Foster, and Jason Statham in The Mechanic. Jason Statham. Well, we're going to breeze through the, the ones that actually made money. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <clears throat> yeah. No. You know what a mechanic is? A hitman. You know I'm better than you, you know. I want to know what you know. Follow me. Some jobs need to look like accidents. Nice. Others send a clear message. The mechanic. Read it on. Oh, can I make a confession? Yeah. Let me make a confession. Please. I really like Jason Statham movies. We know. Okay. Uh, shut up. Like I don't like a lot of action movies like this. And when you you want to talk about representation as a wiener white guy, Jason Statham looks like a wiener white guy. Unless you know what he's capable of and done in other films, he'd be a guy you'd yell at for spilling a drink on you. But he has this amazing, wonderful mythos of being this guy who could kill everybody with his bare hands and uses bullets like laser pointers to open latches on things and, <laughs> and hit buttons. It's ridiculous. It's one of my favorite things in the universe. This is my ninth favorite Jason Statham movie, and it's still not bad. Eh, it's, it's still it's not, not great. bad. No, it's it's the opposite of great. No, it's not. It's not great. Uh, I would put this in the the bottom half of Jason mm -hmm. Statham's stuff, which I generally like too. Like I like the Transporter. I love the Crank movies. Um, shoot, there was something else of his that I ended up liking I too. Love it was like Spy. some other. It was some other remake. Shoot, we talked about it like last year. But I mean, this is a remake of a Charles Bronson movie, um, which is even more fun because Charles Bronson really does not look threatening, right? And that's what makes How it dare so you, fun. Kid. I'll snap you in half. Yeah. Oh, oh, he really will. Oh, no, he'll do it. <laughs> it's it's utterly ridiculous. Uh, I wish this got more like cable play because this would be like the Tango and Cash. I, I love Jason Statham movies. I really do. Really yeah, do. but I mean, yeah, they just told you what it's about. He's mm -hmm. he's a hitman. I was training Ben Foster to be a hitman. He, he's a hitman uh, but, who makes but the a hits. subtle hitman. Yes, he makes all the hits look like accidents, which is key. These are robberies or carjackings mm. or uh, okay. or a piano a piano fell on my mate's head. Don't know what happened. Yeah, I'm holding <laughs> a wad of cash. What of it? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard to excuse or recommend because um, I feel like this is the way my like uncles felt about Arnold Schwarzenegger, any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where I would like, I, I was eight years old and like, I just don't know how they're going to make a better movie than Commando. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I'll, I'll take that into consideration. This is fun, uh, but it's, it's like, it's, it's lesser Statham, but still fun. Still fun. I'm yeah. saying that because I, yeah, I, I, I don't Building have... laundry on a Sunday afternoon fun. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. I don't have anything mm -hmm. to talk about with the next film because I had never heard of it until we started recording, no. which is rare for a movie that gets to be number one at the box office. Yeah, did any of us bother with, with the right... Did we any of us watch it? Oh, no. no. Not a no. bit. Uh, no. Franco, Nero, Rugger Hauer, Chris Chris Marquette, Toby Jones, um, Jesus, Sheeran Hines? Am I saying that right? Uh, Alice Braga, uh, Maria Grazia... Jesus, why'd you do this to me, Diana? Cucinota. Cucinota. Colin O'Donoghue, Anthony Hopkins, the right, R-I-T-E. Do you believe in sin? Yes, I just don't believe the devil makes us do it. Choosing not to believe in the devil won't protect you from him. Signs of a possession are subtle. A persistent tremor in a limb. Oh, God, what's happening to me? The right. Do you believe in me now? <laughs> 
18, January 28th. Um, yeah, that's an exorcism movie. Yeah. All which right. I always Although, de- default back to uh, remember The Exorcist is the, I think, the number one highest grossing horror franchise of all time based on none of the sequels, just the first one. Um, wow. Every, yeah. I think there's a cynical message that's been brought towards movie makers that if you make a horror-themed movie based around religion or especially Catholicism, um, sure. that'll travel a lot further internationally and people watch that over and over again. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, well, I'm just shocked to see it even in 2011 that that, that would still be the case. Because yeah. everything Exorcist Yeah, we get has, an Exorcism movie every couple of years. We do. Least. But, but yeah. Exorcist movies were bombing around this point. So I'm just sort of shocked this exists. No, I feel like Exorcism and Emily Rose made a bunch of money. And yeah, I feel like they're ever... I mean, usually, okay. usually they're cheap. Clearly, you did not have a bet based on Arnold Schwarzenegger's End of Days. So, like... Uh, <laughs> which, that was years before. I know. Was years just, be- right. That's what I'm saying. I thought the public's interest in this was before, over. Actually. And I'm also overshadowing everything Tom Hanks has done with Long, long Hair and Ron Howard. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a trilogy of whatever those movies are called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The Book of Pooh. That's what this. The Book called. of Pooh. <laughs> oh, looking into this though, was, yeah, I didn't. I didn't bother to watch. I'm sorry. Um, nah. Like the behind the like the the true story is based on a nonfiction story, and it's like <gasps> that sounds more interesting. That's about. You know, this guy is like he went to seminary, but he's not really sure about all this. And like and he goes and takes classes on exorcism so he can be like San Jose's local exorcist guy. (laughs) And it's like getting into that stuff. The idea of, you know, someone who's like "Eh, a believer, I guess. I don't know. And then like exorcism. I mean, most of that can be explained by like mental illness. Right. And uh, it's like find out like, no, it, it. Maybe it's real. It's like, okay, that that's a good setup, I guess. I mean, that's kind of the setup of the original Exorcist, but whatever. But this time it's like Anthony Hopkins is like the old school Exorcist guy, and he's trying to exorcise this demon, and then the girl dies, and oh no, I think the demon's gone into Anthony Hopkins, and the guy without a lot of faith is going to have to do something. And uh, Big snort. Uh, you know, uh, just whatever. I mean, I guess reviews are like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Anthony Hopkins actually putting out a little bit of effort here, which is odd, okay. but good for him because he's a professional. He's a, he's a wonderful man, but I am very wary of movies from the last 10 years where he is the star. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Ready to move on to television? Television. Yeah. There's some really good stuff in here, man. Face Off. Face Off. Uh, series premiere on sci-fi. I would not... Yeah. Normally, I've been aware of this, but I had made a couple movies with my company with a bunch of effects people, and they were jockeying to be on this. This Um, is a reality show that I kind of missed out on that mm -hmm. I want to go back and check out it's on sci-fi it's a reality show where prosthetic makeup artists mm-hmm. compete and mm-hmm. it sounds super freaking cool yeah it, it is really cool seasons yeah it's right. it's a show that i i've never watched a whole season and like gotten invested in you know the different artists and their different stories or whatever i just want to see what they do and how they do it and for that it is pretty freaking cool i i I I will never i lived in san francisco for almost 15 years and i never went inside the trans america building but i i a friend of mine who someone who i'd worked with on another shoot who had done my zombie makeup called me over and like i want to audition for the sci-fi show can you come to the so i had i was done i was her audition piece 
for the show. But I remember like I'm at the top of the Transamerica building on another film shoot, looking down over everything. And I I just thought about this the other day and like we're not close friends, so like whatever happened to that? Did like did you make the show or not? Don't even remember. Yeah, I I volunteered my face to get for someone else to get on this show. That's cool. It's it's a neat memory, and I'm glad. I, it, I never would have thought about it again in my whole life unless we were here right now. But this this again this ties in well to living in San Francisco. Uh, a premiere we missed <laughs> last week. Uh, yeah, I can't believe we missed this last I, week because. So sorry. The premiere of this was a huge deal for me. Me too. And yeah, we're talking. About I, I don't think it matters part. where you live, but like where we, where I was living in the center of San Francisco, like shit, this was like, oh, someone made a well, sketch show just about us. Oh no. I, I actually have a very specific memory about the premiere of this. So we're talking about mm. the show Portlandia. The what? With the theme song is. One of the best theme songs the last 10 years. So good. Keep going, girl. But I have a very specific memory of early on in my relationship with Sam. I was uh, reading a magazine. We were just hanging out, and I was reading Bust Magazine. And I remember <laughs> reading a little tiny blurb where it said, there's this new show coming out in the next couple months called Portlandia with Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein. And I remember sitting there and reading that blurb out loud to Sam being like, this sounds so good. This sounds so funny. And then it like came out like immediately after. Like I, I am, I am not shooting. I literally just sent a message to someone who wrote for Bust as you said that, and I'm like, are, so funny. are you? And I don't mean to make it. I don't know. I'm sure that outlet is alive and well, but like ten years ago, Bust was Bust. Uh, awesome. I know. I still have a subscription to it. I read it every. Two yeah, months, I think Port- Portlandia reminds me of a ton of things, and I think Diana made a reference to it. Like, um, like I moved to San Francisco and everything. Like this place is great, and then I stayed there for a couple years, and it became 2008, and every store in the entire district like closed. Everything was closed because the mm-hmm. recession murdered everybody. And then things yeah. started to open up slowly, and they were literally stationary stores. That was like yeah. it. And it. W- w- why would I buy your your thing? Because we have a bird on it. And like, mm-hmm. I'm sure your father is very proud of all the money he spent on the store. But I'm, but I like I couldn't put my finger on like why this is stupid and it sucks until Portlandia came out. Like, oh, yeah. like I want to like, support oh, local business. This was a really cool store, and then oh what. Oh, it's not here anymore. What replaced it? Oh, well, it's like uh, home decor. That pillow is ninety dollars. Yeah, that it's light a bulb. Fucking pillow. <laughs> that light bulb took nine hundred hours to manufacture. Got a really cute drawing of a bird on it. And, uh, but- so Portlandia is just such a wonderful, perfect little sketch show. I just right. I love it so much because it does a perfect job of like skewering things that there is a certain population that know knows it so deeply and so perfectly like bicycle uh, rides. Yeah, I mean it, <laughs> it's <laughs> exactly like I've lived in North Florida for a very long time, but I um, I went to I was going to San Francisco a lot, like twice a year for mm-hmm. about a decade visiting family, and so I'm very familiar with that whole vibe and Mm. so it felt so familiar to me and it did such a good job of like skewering that culture in a loving way and then also peppering in their sketches that were so bizarre and weird that were just like (laughs) nothing it it was just like 
the last sketch of SNL, basically, right. you know, the last sketch of the night where yeah, it's just the, the 155 one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that nobody watches. It's a And I think it's responsible show. for like if anybody still likes Kyle McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> my God, yes. Yeah, and great. so we're talking about Portlandia. We actually we missed it last week, but the second episode, this is the episode where we we're introduced to Kyle McLaughlin as, as the, mayor. the mayor of Portland. The well-meaning who, bicycle riding mayor. I love him so much. I mean, I... <laughs> I love Kyle McLaughlin forever because he's just the greatest weirdo. Seeing him pop up in Portlandia just like really did my heart well. It's it's part of bubbles because every time I see like Donald Trump Jr. trying to make fun of liberals, I'm like, that is a Portlandia joke. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? We made fun of ourselves better than you a decade ago. This is stupid. And it's like there's something about this that feels like a milestone in television. Because, like, if Republicans were aware of it, they would make fun of leftist hipsters using these jokes, but they just don't mm-hmm. know about it because it's on a, sh- a channel called IFC. If you have IFC, odds are it's in the 100s. You might. Yes, always you, on, slightly off. Yeah. yeah. That, that decided it won because I think the brass was the same. They wanted to become 1990s HBO. Mm-hmm. So for me, as a as a massive sketch comedy fan, to make a very specific kind of sketch comedy mm-hmm. was one of the greatest things that had ever happened. And something, it's not like I, I don't think I'd ever watched a sketch where like I never watched an SNL sketch like ah massive head wound Harry that's about me. But like so, <laughs> right. so much of this was about me, and that made me that made me laugh every time I slapped yeah. the hood of a car on my bike or like uh like yeah. As much as it feels so local to San Francisco or Portland or mm-hmm. Seattle, I'm sure it, it is one of those like these people are in every goddamn town. Yes, Even if you yes. in a town of a thousand people, there is one person who really wants to open a feminist bookstore right. and then like not let people buy things. Right, and th- there's a city like this in every state, so I think it's it's transferable. But like the right people found this, and the wrong people never did. They weren't bored by it. I, I just thought that, that that's an interesting scope of cable. I do believe it is the first time Lorne Michaels let one of his SNL cast members work on something simultaneously as a hmm. producer. That had never happened before. No one was allowed to do anything but SNL. They could do movies in the summer or on their off time. But like Fred Armisen did this simultaneously with Carrie Brownstein, which I have to imagine most of the universe didn't know about. Did not uh, know that she was a funny person. Right. Yeah, I knew. Oh, she's in Sleater Kinney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I didn't know she could act or write or do funny stuff. And I should mm-hmm. say, like, having done this kind of show as long as we've I've done it, I love complimenting first episodes. I think it's one of the best first episodes of any show that's ever existed. Best and first sketch. The best I first mean, sketch. It describes the entire show. And yeah. it's, it's Fred talking to Carrie in L.A. about a thing. And I... This still makes me laugh. Do you remember the 90s? Yeah. You know, people were talking about getting piercings and getting tribal tattoos. Yeah. And people were singing about saving the planet and forming bands. Yeah. There's a place where that idea still exists as a reality. And I've been there. Where is it? Portland. Oregon? Yeah. Dream of the night is alive. Portland. I think this is a super fun song in addition to like a perfect pilot description of what they're talking about. (laughs) No one works full time. Everyone has their favorite (laughs) coffee shop. And I was on my way to Portland before I ran out of money in San Francisco. And uh, this, this, this cracks me up. I love Portlandia. A specific 
sketch comedy show. I was just watching documentary now and just like, oh, how does this exist? So Thank you, IFC, for like, like yeah, it's okay. We'll get 200,000 people to watch every week. <laughs> We're fine mm-hmm. with that. This will never be a worldwide phenomenon, but it'll be specific to you, and it makes me want to hug myself. The second episode, though, I do have to say, like, mm-hmm. I think is even better than the first one because it introduced, like, two of my favorite reoccurring sketches, and one is the feminist bookstore with <laughs> Candace and Tony, which mm-hmm. is just so perfect. And in the second episode, it's when Aubrey Plaza comes in. She's looking for books for her college class, and it's the same. She's like pointing and she's like, the book is right here. And they're like, please don't. Every time you point, it looks like a tiny penis. Please never do that. <laughs> like, I have been in so many feminist bookstores where it's not quite there, but it's almost there. <laughs> and I love it so much. And then it's also the same uh, episode that introduces the gender swap couple. Mm. Cacao. Cacao. Oh, so good. I, I mean, Oh, I want to go back and watch Portland and out. So. Yeah, I never. And I will, I will forever forgive it for ruining, for spoiling um, the wire. It spoiled the wire for me. My fault because I had been so behind on watching it, but still. Uh, but it also like uh, if we have to talk about, I, I don't remember. I, IFC hadn't figured out what kind of entertainment it wanted to make, and like it was the independent independent film channel that has now become. The comedy nerd channel, and this sort of helped them. <laughs> yeah. Everything you've ever liked on IFC started with Portlandia from Comedy Bang Bang. I'm a huge fan of uh, Brockmire. Yep. Uh, fucking mm. love that show. Stand, Stand Against Evil. IFC is kind of one of my favorite channels right now, and this sort of started their original programming kick. And mm-hmm. uh, hats off to that. Hats off to Portlandia for that alone. Great theme song. Great specific sketch show. Great harbinger of good things to come from a good channel. Uh. Mm-hmm. And then on the 27th, we should mention Parks and Rec had an episode called The Flu, which. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Such yep. a good episode where the flu rips through the town. Everybody gets sick. And it's such a fun episode to watch everybody dealing with sickness in their own way, because, of course, the characters all have their own way to deal with mm-hmm. it. But my absolute favorite is Rob Lowe, who has <laughs> no body fat and cannot handle his body getting sick. Mm-hmm. And so anytime anyone in my family or friends gets sick i always send them this little clip of roblo looking in the mirror and talking to himself stop pooping (laughs) 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 it just makes me laugh so much seeing him looking at himself in the mirror because we've all been there where we've had the flu and we are like get it together food poisoning (laughs) but i get it yes Pooping. <laughs> <laughs> I send that to anyone I know who's sick. Because <laughs> uh, uh, he's just added to the cast, according to what we've just gone yes, through, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. As a regular, I think he was on the previous season. But right, um, exactly. yeah, 2011 games. Dead Space 2, I think probably the better, the best Dead Space that we have, despite an ending I really hated. But uh, it doesn't have Brian Cranston babyfaced in yep. it. Yep. Roger Corman is not involved, but it's a Damn. video game. What are you going to do? Magic uh, Two Worlds, uh, Breach, and Monday Night Combat are also out here. We'll talk more in depth about all these on uh, Patreon.com slash LazerTime with the Video Game Apocalypse crew every single Friday. I believe we're talking about, in honor of Hitman 3, reboots rarely work, but we're talking about reboots that got trilogies. Reboots work better in games than almost everything else we've ever talked about. Name a good reboot trilogy. It doesn't often happen. 
Hmm. In movies and television, don't bring up Hawaii Five O to me. I don't want to fucking hear it. But we got to tell you who died and lived and was born throughout this episode. But that is about it for us. Check out lasertimepodcast.com. Consider dropping a donation at patreon.com slash lasertime. $1, $5, whatever you want to give. Um, We encourage you to do a $5 a month plan that would really help us all out. (laughs) Ty, where can people find you? Uh, They can find me on Twitter at listeninerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D. Or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. And plug in next week, we're going on an adventure with a Dapper Dan man. <gasps> oh, I'm so excited. Oh, John Goodman and is I my favorite after, Cyclops. <laughs> I am no longer a man of constant sorrow, let me tell you that, after today. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will chew on the Rock Candy Mountains. Love that shit. Uh, finally, we're rounding out our, our Coen Brothers and the Ear and Zero trilogy at last. We done Miller's Crossing. We done True Grit. But uh, who died this week, Diana? Ah, uh, well, in 1991, we lost the Galloping Ghost, Red Grange, a very <laughs> early football star. He was 87. I mean, so early football star, you pull up a picture of him, and it's—I mean, it's a leather helmet and all yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And then in 2011 is when we lost lost Jack Lalane, the fitness guru. He was nine to six. Wow. Shoot. He me. was this tiny what? little guy wearing spandex, always yelling at you about becoming more healthy and get rid of junk food and don't be a sugar holic and I'm going to pull this truck with my teeth. <laughs> I can only think of comic book ads and Martin Short on Arrested Development. Shoot uh, me! Re- referenced on Seinfeld, actually. I won't go uh, wheelchair. Uh, Jack yeah. Lane. But with that out of the way, we got to figure out who was a b- b- born during this period. B- b- birthdays! birthdays. Oh. oh, birthday is a doodly doo a ding-dong doodly doo Turning 82, possibly, or maybe 80, because we can't seem to nail down what year he was born, and I'm not sure why. But he's still with us, knock on wood. Born January 26, 1939, or maybe 1941 in Pittsburgh. (laughs) See, that's the thing I don't understand. It's like, is he just lying about his age? Because it's Pittsburgh. They have records. Right. Uh, But anyway, he survived scarlet fever and was bedridden for a year as a kid. Uh, Was a Marine for three years pre-Vietnam and wanted to become a writer, so he started taking acting classes to learn how to do dialogue. Walked into a new career. Mm. We have talked about him in, oh, so many movies. Miss Firecracker, Absolute Power, Virgin Suicides. There's He's no kind of way Kirsten Dunst is that old. Uh, Paul Dooley. No. No. Vertical Limit, Freedom Writer, Secretariat, and he was on The Leftovers for a season. It's a guy. Yes. Mm. It's a guy. It said he's kind of a hey. He's like just the just the line between hey it's that guy and not hey it's that guy. I feel like okay. But when you see him, you're like, oh, it's. Is Paul Giamatti eighty two? Stephen Tobolowski. Right. Uh, he's also in The Born Ultimatum. He played Donald Rumsfeld in W and was the star of Man on Fire, the original one, not the Denzel one. Oh, God. I... Mm. He was Donald Rumsfeld in what? In, in w? w? Yeah. W. Fuck me. He wore a lot of makeup for that. He doesn't look a lot like Rumsfeld. Yeah. He's a little thinner. How about Hunt for Red October and in a couple weeks, Silence of the Lambs? Anthony Hopkins? No. Yeah, he's a real, hey, That's that, it's that guy. <laughs> Shit, no, no idea. Still no idea. Okay. Ah, I was hoping we wouldn't get to this point, but later this year, we'll talk about My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys, Backdraft, Training Day, and Sucker Punch. Not Denzel Washington. No. There's only really two guys in Sucker Punch. John <laughs> One Hamm. of them's old. Uh, I, no, not John Hamm. It. Good. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. That's why I didn't see it. And he's probably best known for Urban Cowboy and the right stuff. John Voight? No. It's not in those. Bob Balaban? No. No. Do we have a total failure here? Because I'm out of things to tell Urban you. Cowboy. Urban Cowboy. Urban Cowboy. Dustin Hoffman. Stuff. No. No. Not a hey, it's that guy. Uh, Lou Gossett Jr. And Hunt for Red October. One of his biggest parts. Sarah looks scared. Um, <laughs> no. I'm... Well, I'm going to send him to kick y'all your asses because he still could at 82 or maybe 80 or whatever. Or, yeah, depending on. We have a total failure of birthday quiz here. I apologize. Maybe I picked someone a little too hard. I hope people at home have gotten it by now. Scott Glenn. The astronauts? Don't even know who that is. (laughs) I just listed 20 movies he's in. And they're big parts. Head for Red October is a very large part. He's like head of FBI or something. Maybe if you're talking to my husband, he loves the hunt for Red. I I thought I would get. Okay. I picked someone too obscure. I apologize. And that's on you. And that's all I'm saying. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. He's going to kick all your asses now. Mm. I'm going to tell him where you are. You're not an old man. No, nah, he'll fuck you up, man. He's wiry. I got antibodies. <laughs> he was the blind guy who taught Daredevil how to fight in the Daredevil show. Yes. So yes, I, I had was. to Google it, but yes, I get it. I get it now. I, it's, it, it, am I right? I'm on the hey, it's that guy where it's like yes. you look at him and you're like, oh, yeah. Yes. Because like, like just go, do a Google image search on him. You'll Like everyone else would have got this already. But uh, that, that's the first time uh, that's happened in six years. That's really? never happened. No. no. There was one other time. Oh, yes. Okay. There was one other time. Wasn't where... This guy was in Vertical Limit. Yes. Right? Yep. I just said that. Sorry. Yeah, no. The one other Sorry. time, Chris, you could not remember Toshiro Mifune's name. There's literally no way I would have gotten that in a hundred thousand years because he looks okay. like a carotene to me, first of all. I mean, he also looks like he should have been it dead was. 10 years ago. So I'm glad we're bringing mm. him up. Let's celebrate him while yeah. he's around. Well, let's end this fucking uh, this circus. Um, let's close it down with uh, All This Time by Sting. Yeah, it's a nice song. Yeah. Made the charts. You made this happen, executive producer John Bacon, and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. <laughs> why, why Sting? Am I missing something? It, it came out this week in 91. All right. I'll, I can dig that. And oh, next week, I cannot wait, guys. One of my favorite shows has one of my favorite episodes ever. Ooh, it closes yeah. down. Tell a friend. Can we Patreon. get a hint? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's Godzilla. Yeah. Well, let me just say this a big, big TV movie for me comes out next week as well oh so excited so very excited mm. um hard everyone chins up it's a new era of 30 2010 because it's a new season and no other reason that's happening in the outside world All this time, the river flows, and the sea.